Dan fucking Savage. Zach, Noe fucking Towers. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. How are you? Well, you said you're not feeling great. Is that a physical or emotional or spiritual not feeling great? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All those things. It, all the things. I'm so excited you rallied for me. I feel I'm, I feel, I already felt special that I got to interview <laughs> you, but now I feel like double special. Do you know how many people have interviewed me over the years? Don't feel special that you get to interview me. That is such a low bar. I, I'm an interview whore. I will sit down in front of a microphone for anybody. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. I actually, I didn't, I didn't know that, but it makes sense. Um, okay. Okay. Great. I'm just, Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually turned down a lot of things, but I listened to your show and I'm a fan. And so I thought I'd put myself in the hot seat. Oh my gosh. Uh, if my heart has a butthole, it just, it just puckered. It just dilated the the butthole of the of my heart. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've listened to your show wait, wait. for y- what I, isn't puckering and dilating two different things? Isn't puckering closing and dilating opening? Okay, it's more of a, a Morse code thing where it's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. It's like trying to communicate. It's like, <laughs> we love this. Nom, 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 nom. Like if I if I <laughs> held a monster. if I held a scone up to your ass right now, it would. Bite it in half. Um, yeah, my butt is always horny for a dry biscuit. Um, <laughs> um, you need no introduction. You have had a hit. Is it? Would you call it a sex talk show? A sex and relationship advice podcast. Uh, kind of yes. the ultimate culmination, really. I think of. I've been writing Savage Love, my sex advice column, um, for thirty fucking years. And about wow. 15 years ago, the tech-savvy at-risk youth at the paper came to me and said, <laughs> we should do one of these newfangled podcast things and set me down in front of a microphone. And thank God for that, because the yeah. podcast is what it's all about now, the Savage Lovecast. Yeah. Wow. And But the column's still ongoing, but yeah. it's like in a digital format. Digital format. There are still papers uh, that it runs in and... <laughs> Uh, Vancouver and uh, Arizona, like all over the place. There's still print publications out there that run my column and they send me copies and I'm like, oh, newsprint, that's so <laughs> colonial Williamsburg. Yes. This is how people yes. used to live. Like a printing press seems like just like a piece of history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, wow. I'm a Luddite. I was the last person on my block to stop getting the New York Times in print. I love print publications. But I am now, I have made the full transition to digital subscriptions and reading news online and looking at Twitter as I fall asleep and as I wake up in the morning. You're one of the tech-savvy at-risk youths yourself. Yeah, I'm more of a tech-savvy at-risk yenta or (laughs) tech-savvy. Although I'm very un-tech-savvy. If my husband could hear me describe myself as tech-savvy when literally he has to turn the television on for me because there are three remotes and I can't remember. They tried to put like color coded tape on the remotes to help grandpa know how to turn on the TV. And yeah, I just can't. It's like this one first, this one second, never touch this one. Yeah. Why? Why did things have to get so complicated? Does Yenta mean sexy distinguished man? (laughs) No, it means like a matchmaker. Oh, oh, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Okay, yes, yes. okay. Um, 
Let's get into it. So you've heard the pod before, so you know everything I ask. Starting with the, I'm so excited for this. Um, How do you define sex? Can I talk first about how I encourage other people to define sex and ease into talking about this shit in regards to myself? because you also said that you never talk about your own sex stuff. Or if I do mention my own sex stuff, it's usually not true. It's a Uh camouflage or a joke. I think people, when it comes to sex, need to have a really broad definition and everything needs to count. You'll have more sex. You'll have a better sex life if you have the broadest possible definition of sex. When it comes to cheating, you want the narrowest definition of sex. (laughs) So having a friend from work is not cheating. Online porn is not cheating. You know, watching a cam uh, model is not cheating. I think... When it comes to sex, everything should count, right? It's one of the things that gay men are really good at. You know, I often talk to straight guys who are jealous that gay guys have so much sex. And I will tell them a lot of the sex gay guys have is mutual masturbation, sometimes just oral. And they flip out because it's like a sex life without vaginal intercourse. And they think sex is PIV. And I often hear people interviewed on your show who who will say sex yep. is penetration. Yep. And I always want to... Jump on and ask the follow-up question, which is you walk into the room and your girlfriend's on her knees with some other man's dick in her hands. Is she cheating on you? And the answer is going to be, yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you walk into a room and your boyfriend uh, is eating somebody else's ass. No one's being penetrated. He's very carefully licking straight up, straight down, no tongue going in. Are you being cheated on? And the answer is going to be for most people, yeah, that would count as sexual activity and cheating. So it's always like there's so many people out there with a Clintonian definition of sex still that it's PIV. And if you didn't have PIV, you didn't really have sex. Like not have sexual intercourse with that woman. All of your very young listeners. Bill Bill Clinton. Clinton. Right. I was like, you can't mean Clinton. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not Hillary Clinton. Not everyone's current reference for Clinton. (laughs) But back when Clinton got caught bucking Monica Lewinsky, he got on TV and, you know, Thought he was being clever I by saying not. he didn't have sexual intercourse. Yeah, good. That's a really good impression. Not bad. So how do I define sex? I think it's anything that a person can do, usually with another person, where there's eroticism, uh, desire, and often but not always, some release of erotic tension. That can be an orgasm. It can be – that can happen between your legs. It can happen between your ears. Mm-hmm. But I think – Almost everything counts when it comes to sex and almost nothing counts when it comes to cheating. If you want to have a happy. (laughs) I love that definition. Who knew, who knew you'd be, you'd bring one of my favorite definitions to the table. (laughs) You got to stop letting people get away with that. Like it's penetration and that's it. I, you know, I'm not the one who's going to look silly, you know, when, everyone listens to it or like when people listen to this like four years from now they're gonna be like wow old man like penis and vagina (laughs) like you not sex with your robot doesn't count it's like i have sex with her all the time um i'm looking forward to the sex robots i have to say you know what very pro same same there was um what was it i think ai was like a big steven spielberg like movie jude law was a sex robot and i was like if this is the future, yes. Oh my God, oh, yes. Oh, Zach, that's so naive. Why is it naive? And charming. Because that's not what the sex robots are going to be for. Uh, what sex robots are going to allow us to do is realize the unrealizable fantasies. 
sex robots are going to be centaurs. Sex robots are going to be 50 foot tall women. There's all these kinks and fetishes and desires out there that can't be realized because they're impossible or can't be realized morally because there's no way to realize them consensually. Some sex robots are going to look like dogs or furries, but the really interesting ones I think are going to be the sex robots that, you know, a centaur, a minotaur. Are mythical. Are mythical. That These are things that people fantasize about and have never been able to realize. And all those kids who saw the Lord of the, or whatever, the Chronicles of Narnia or whatever. Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, who saw centaurs with, you know, abs and then horse bodies and by implication, horse dicks. Like there are people out there who like that, they, their erotic imaginations at that formative moment seized on that. And they're sexually frustrated all their lives because there is no centaur only in your imagination. Come the sex robots. There's a centaur at the sex robot whorehouse that you can visit for a lot of money and people will. Well, I kind of love that. What's your, do you have a, do you have a mythical creature that you want to fucking rail or get railed by? Uh, Centaurs is always my go-to example. And I'm going to incriminate myself a little bit. I found a bunch of like folders from like second, third, fourth grade that my mother had set aside for me. And I had drawn centaurs all over them. So, but I'm not into them. Like if centaur, I'm not into horse stick or horses or horse bodies. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm an urban kid. Like I drew centaurs, I think because they were half naked men. And sure. like, I drew a lot of uh, tits and abs and they were much more fully realized than the horse part. But yeah, I've obviously <laughs> thought like, of centaurs is always this. my example. I wouldn't cite centaurs all the time as my example of like the sex robot thing if centaurs were my thing, because I would be telling on myself yes. and I rarely yes. tell on myself. You have to, you have to, it's a red herring of sorts. Um, yeah. I love the concept of celebrity sex robots. So like Madame Tussauds wax place becomes like a fucking brothel where you're like Harry Potter you know, Hagrid. Yeah. Well, those are both Harry Potter characters, but oh my god, I, mean? I think that, and I think that's really smart. And there will be illegal ones in countries that you know where you can go right now for oh yes, illegal yes. things. Uh-huh. Uh, and you shouldn't. Uh, but what's going to be interesting is will some celebrities, like they get on cameo later in life, will some celebrities later in life license their images? for sex robots and you know 30 years from now will you know angelina jolie license a sex robot so people can fuck angelina jolie at 25 or 30 which means there's going to be knockoff there's going to be black market angelina jolie it's called like angelina you know Angelina Moly, and she has like a different nose, but it's like pretty much Angelina. I mean, how much would you pay or I pay to would I pay to fuck Thelma and, and Louise era Brad Pitt? If that oh was a God. sex robot that I could visit at a sex brothel and Brad Pitt got a cut of that, I'd be totally down with Brad Pitt getting a cut of that. But even if I had to go to like the sex brothel, robot brothel in Thailand where Brad Pitt wasn't getting a cut of it. I would probably go. I would go. Yeah, cut to me swallowing Brad Pitt's robot jizz. Um, <laughs> Thelma and Louise era Brad Pitt or Troy era Brad Pitt or, um, you know. Uh, have you seen Once now Upon Brad a Time Pitt? in Hollywood? Oh, I know. Like, yeah. you, could, you could go to a sex brothel and have a four-way with three different eras of Brad Pitt. Oh, my God. 
That's what's coming. Like people think like they saw AI and they think what's coming is there's like Gigolo Joe. I think that was the name of that character that Jude Law. Okay. And there's going to be the sex robot kind of conventionally attractive boyfriend Gigolo. And it's no human erotic imaginations are infinitely perverse prions (laughs) that are constantly folding over on each other. And, And that's, you know, certain sex reachers think that our capacity for abstract thought, uh, which allowed us to develop speech and our elaborate societies is part of what makes our erotic imagination so complicated and also abstract. Like why are some people turned on by, you know, rubber swim caps? How does that function? How did that happen? Yeah. Genetically, sexually, what confers no evolutionary advantage that you're blowing loads on somebody's rubber swim cap. (laughs) But some people like eroticize that. And, when you think about sex and the way it functions in human cultures in our lives, it's not about reproduction. Like you're gay, I'm gay. Not about reproduction, obviously. Some part of my reptile brain is trying to get Terry pregnant and has for like 30 years. But that's not what I'm there for. I'm there for the connection. The connections are what's important. Sure. The intimacy, the relationships, even if they only last for an hour or two. That's what human sex is for. We have a lot of sex. We have a lot of pent-up desire. We have one or two kids, maybe, unless we're a dugger or a Santorum <laughs> and we shit out kid, <laughs> kids from one to the other. <laughs> and so when you look at sex, it's one of the things I write about in my last book. When you look at sex, you have to ask, what is it for? It's obviously not for making babies. Right. Otherwise we would go into heat like cats or deer. We wouldn't have Which all some this of excess do. desire and hidden ovulation in women and the capacity for a male to produce billions of sperm in a week. If it was all just for babies. Procreation, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd be honored to carry your child um, if you ever need (laughs) another fertile womb. But I just realized I'm so embarrassed. We're 14 minutes in, and you have already masterfully made this episode not about you. Um, I'm good at deflection. Maybe deflection is my kink. Wow. Um, Well, are you fully erect right now? Um, Because you're... You're doing a great job. Okay, so what's the first thing that made Dan Savage horny? Like, do you remember the first thing besides the centaurs you drew in your little sex book as a child? I have a really early memory of being at a problematic grade school basketball tournament with my family. And the school had a mascot that was an Indian. And -hmm. there was some high school boy there in an Indian headdress and a loincloth running back and forth. Stop. And I, re- I like remember that. I also remember a crossing guard when I was like five. My, it freaked my mother out because I had such a crush on this crossing guard. Like I was five and I just was like obsessed with this crossing Enamored. guard. yeah. And I can remember his mouth. I can remember his teeth. Like that yeah, was what can. I was obsessed with was his mouth. And like he had sort of – there's actually a guy I just found on Instagram who has his mouth and I started following him. And I just like his mouth. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, not so much an ad as a gentle reminder. If you like your episodes of Good Morning Sodomites girthier and uncut and most importantly ad-free, head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash towerbottom. Sign up for that $5 level and you will get uninterrupted eargasms that will bring you to your knees.
Wendy's two for $6 lets you mix and match some of our best items, like <gasps> Dave Single with a 10-piece crispy nugs, medium strawberry lemonade with a spicy chicken sandwich, spicy chicken with a Dave Single, Dave Single with a strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade, if you're into that. Chicken Sam, crispy nugs, crispy nugs, strawberry lemonade, Dave's, Dave's, nugs, nugs, Sam, Sam. Whew. Pick what you want at a price you want. <clears throat> Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's two for six. For a limited time, price of participation may vary at U.S. Wendy's. On the card only. Single item at regular price. And so those are my earliest memories that were confusing. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And, and that I didn't know to be ashamed of. I was just like into this crossing guard. I thought he was like the sun and the moon and the stars. And I had no filter. And I told my mom about it, about how amazing he was and how much I liked to stare at him. And then, like, when I saw that Indian mascot, I was a little older, and I was like, I'm not supposed to like this. I'm not supposed to like how he looks. And he looked sure pretty amazing. Damn good. Um, and, and, of course, very problematic. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first word out of your mouth, a problematic yeah. face. First of all, <laughs> any any basketball game for me is a problem. But um, They need to bring you... back those 70s short shorts, like oh satin short shorts. Oh, my God. The like, the, like, pup tents they wear now were – it's very distressing. Crazy. It doesn't even make sense. Like the short shorts make it seem like travel easier, you know, like running less drag, you know? less drag. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You said it freaked your mom out when you expressed how much you were into crossing guard was what was the vibe on sex in your household or like sex and like, or gayness. Did you know that it was not cool with your folks? Yeah, I knew it was not cool. Um, I grew up in a very Catholic family. We lived in Chicago. Uh, I was born in 1964, so I'm, I think, probably the oldest person you've ever talked to on your podcast. No. Years old. no. So the gay rights movement was happening. There were gay pride parades in Chicago. My dad was a Chicago cop, and mm. he worked Area 6 homicide, and Area 6 was where the gay neighborhood was, and it was the 60s and 70s, so the gay neighborhood was not a nice neighborhood. Right. And all the gay people my dad met for the most part, until I came out, were murderers Sex and workers. dead guys. Oh, yeah. oh sure, sure. Uh, and, you know, Anita Bryant was a thing. In some yeah. ways, if you go back and watch, you know, The Life and Times of Harvey Milk, that documentary, or read The, the Mayor of Castro Street by uh, Randy Schultz, Harvey Milk would talk about, like, that 12-year-old boy who realizes he's gay, 13, and thinks he has two options, and one is the closet and the other is suicide. And then he picks up the paper and reads about this gay guy getting elected to the city council in San Francisco and realizes, I'm going to cry, he has another option, which is to move to San Francisco. I was yes. literally that gay kid that he was talking about because I was 13 years old when he got elected, and I read about it in the newspaper, and I thought, all right, I don't have to find a woman. Or kill yourself. Or kill myself or be a priest, which would have been an emotional and spiritual death or suicide. Oh, you just made me secondhand. Um, I got <laughs> tingles behind my nose. Uh, wow. Okay. That's um, beautiful. And I'm glad you found that article, obviously. Um, and yeah, But I also, really I also cool. had the benefit of living in a city where there were gay people who were starting to be out. I was, sure. remember one of my really early memories is being at, going to see Logan's Run at Water Tower with my parents, Water Tower Place movie theater, with my siblings when I was, I don't know, like 12 when that movie came out. And there were two gay guys in line in front of us holding hands, like a few people in front of us. And my parents were not happy. Uh, and my mom kept saying to my dad, those weird men, those weird men. And she put an arm around me, but not around my brothers, which was 
itself kind of confirmation. Yeah. It pulled me toward her. Yeah. And I looked at them and I was like, I'll be fine. (gasps) Yeah. (gasps) Look at that. (sighs) So God bless those guys who were just like, I want to say unselfconsciously being gay in themselves, but no, they were probably really, there was a cop. They were being brave. They were being very fucking brave. And it still requires some bravery depending on your, where you are and who's around you to be very publicly and openly gay. But to do that in 1976 at water tower place in Chicago, that took enormous courage. Uh, And that, and I saw it. I not only saw them, I saw their courage. I could see how brave they were, how fearless they were. And they were role models for me all my life, even though I was behind them in line for yeah. five minutes and never saw them again. And they probably died of AIDS. Oh, well, they sound hot until you just said the AIDS thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, Okay, so then you came to terms with your own homosexuality around then when you were like 12 and 13. You had an inkling, you had known since you were like five. Yeah, I couldn't deny it. I mean, I had been in denial, but I could no longer deny it. But even after, you know, like most gay people, uh, even after accepting that it was a fact about me, then there was, am I ever going to tell anybody about this or do anything about this? Sure. Wow. Um, okay. So then back to you, your physicality. Um, do you remember the first time you had an orgasm? Yeah. Go on. Oh, I have to say something. I have to tell you more. Yeah. Well, tell me all about it. It's amazing. I'm not a wet and messy or goop fetishist. You know, those people who like to cover themselves in green slime because they saw it on Nickelodeon when they were seven. Stop. Really? Okay. Oh yeah. They're out there. I love love that. Green goo. Um, I was, you know, I had been like playing with my dick, you know, as an adolescent, as a tween. And I was in the shower and now, you know, kids often before they have their first orgasm have seen online porn, which can be harmful or helpful and seen people come. I didn't know what ejaculation was. I didn't know that a dick could do that. And I was Mm -hmm. just playing with stroking my dick in the shower and using this like thick viscous, is that how you say that word? Green shampoo. And I suddenly ejaculated for like, three and a half hours. And (laughs) I was like, what is that? I mean, it's amazing. And wow. But what is that? Wait, to be clear, you ejaculated for three and a half hours or you played with yourself? I'm joking. Like I came, it felt like I came for three and a half hours. Yes. That that first orgasm after like a year or two of like edging yourself yeah. At age like 10, 11, 12, 13. It was, I mean, immediately it was like, I want to do that again. And because again. I was, you know, 13 or whatever, I was able to do You're that again yeah. pretty quickly. Your refractory period then is like <laughs> the heartbeat of a hummingbird. Now what's I have to wait. What's the refractory period? What's, yeah, what's the refractory period now? <laughs> uh, you know, seasons. I have to wait for the next season of Real Housewives to start to remind me that maybe I can ejaculate again. Stop. You're a humpback whale. Um, this... <laughs> so I have, the, I have a very distinct memory of that first orgasm. I knew you were going to ask about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, baby. Um, green goo in the shower. Yeah, time stops when you orgasm. Uh, like, 
I mean, it doesn't always stop these days, but like there are like my uh, time stopping orgasms that I still encounter these days. But that first one, well, did you have, did you have immediately, did you experience Catholic guilt? Like when you, you know what I mean? I'm really lucky when I came out as a teenager, which was rare for gay men of my generation. Like I was out in high school, Mm -hmm. not to everybody out as bi at first, uh, I met a lot of gay guys and I could instantly began to sort them into two categories. I was meeting gay guys who thought there was something wrong with them, who thought, you know, their mom made them gay or they were sick or sinful or damaged in some profound way. And then there were gay guys who thought they were fine and everybody else was fucked up. Not that everybody who wasn't gay was fucked up. Just people who had a problem with gayness were the ones who had a problem, not me for being gay, not them for being gay. And I, I don't know how, I very was fortunate enough to fall into that latter category where I was just like, I'm fine. This is fine. The church is wrong. My parents are wrong. My siblings are wrong. My friends are wrong. Every politician I see on TV is wrong. The priest up on the altar, he's wrong. Everyone's wrong. I'm fine. And it was, you know, as I explained to my mother when I came out, it was kind of the moral education my own parents had given me and the Jesuit education I'd gotten in Catholic schools. Like there was no way I could approach this or look at it and see harm, anybody being harmed. So long as it was consensual, so long as Mm -hmm. it was mutually pleasurable, uh, where was the damage? And it was a tough time. You know, sometimes it's weird as an older gay person to talk about the reaction your parents had because they're going to be judged by contemporary standards and assumptions. Mm -hmm. My parents had no access to the internet. There was no Glee. There was no Rachel Maddow, no Anderson Cooper. There was no information. Mm -hmm. They thought that homosexuality was like something your kid drifted into. And if they saw your kid drifting toward homosexuality, you're supposed to give them a shove. So they would drift Mm -hmm. away from it. And I got shoved a lot and it was really painful, but it was came from a a loving place, but a deeply ignorant place. Um, And, you know, I still struggle with like, some shame around like how I was treated when other people became aware of my homosexuality, even before I was aware of my homosexuality or could articulate mm-hmm. it. <sighs> that said, you know, when I came out and was arguing with my mother about it, she couldn't put together an argument yeah. to refute the point I was making. That was. Yeah. <laughs> the cops Nothing's wrong for me. There, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing harmful about it. the only thing you were damaging were some buttholes. Am I right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> although, um, although, yeah, those early years, I wrote about this in in one of my books. I decided early on I wasn't going to be one of those guys who had anal sex because they pissed off that upset straight people, and I was going to be a good gay. And I was like, kind of, you know, at thirteen, fourteen, yeah. into a kind of respectability like, I don't do that butt stuff <laughs> i didn't do that butt stuff um and if i don't do the butt stuff then straight people won't hate me and it took me like all of 11 seconds to realize straight people made no distinction between a boy who wanted to kiss a boy uh and a boy who wanted to be railed by a boy and wow so- <laughs> what wait okay 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 so we're to one of my favorite parts what was your first sexual experience with another person like was it with a boy or a girl Yes. <laughs> it was with both. You had a threesome on your first time. I lost my virginity in a three-way with my 
older brother's ex-girlfriend and another guy. Stop. I was straight then, identified 15. They were in their early 20s, mid-20s. It was, you know, wrong, very wrong. I don't feel like I was statutorily raped. Um, I've written about this and people have gotten very upset that I won't frame it as when I was raped. Um, I was not raped. Uh, And I am allowed to understand that experience um, as I understand it, as I experienced it. This is not to say that anybody should be fucking minors. uh, Sure. And people should err on the side of not fucking minors. And Mm -hmm. they could have gone to jail. All that said, like, I had sex with her. Uh, while se- sloppy seconds uh, while he watched and uh, it was crazy because I was worried that if I looked at him, he would realize I was gay and beat me up, which is literally what was running through my head, which made it hard yeah. to like finish perform. Yeah. Right. Cause I was mostly in a panic about getting gay bashed while I was having sex with a woman and having sex for the first time. And he was hot. And he was not gay. Uh, and because he was not gay, he looked at me and I was having trouble finishing and they were ready to get yeah. out of this tent in the woods where it was yeah. really hot in the middle of the day. Uh, and so he reached around and began to play with my balls, cupped my balls between my legs. And literally what went through my head was, well, of course he can do that because he's straight and he knows he's straight. If I so much as look at him, he's going to figure out I'm gay and beat me up. So he cupped my balls and I came. <laughs> he, want, he wanted to help and it really helped that he touched my balls. Uh, but that was my first sexual experience. And then she was my girlfriend for a while. And I had Stop. a lot of sex with her. And I had a pregnancy scare with her. Uh, you dated your brother's ex? Was that not a big issue? It, yeah, it was. But like, think of what I wanted out of that. I didn't just want sex. And you, you know, wanted, 15 you years old. I wanted to cover. Exactly. This immediately got back to my brother, immediately got back to my parents and my family and it bought me and you're like, yes, time. Yes. Not only am and, I and, straight, and, but I'm a, I'm a fuck boy. <laughs> right. And you know, she did me a favor. Like it was very clarifying. Like I had sex with her. And then after a while I was like, I can't do this for 50 years. And what I'm doing to her, like, you know, she was older than me and I was a minor, you know, what she was doing to me was wrong. But what I was doing to her was wrong. I was using her, right? Yeah. To prove something to myself, to prove something to my family. I didn't have feelings for her and I was using her as a, as a fleshlight. A prop. Yeah. Long before fleshlights existed. And it was very dehumanizing. Like I would have sex with her and like, think about the guy in high school I had a crush on at the time and keep my eyes sealed shut. Yeah. And I wasn't present. And part of me was like, thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> helping me. Cause she really did help me. Yeah. I could have had that relationship at 24. Right. Like a lot of gay men yeah. of my generation did. They had heterosexual relationships, heterosexual marriages and came out after college. I could have been having that relationship at and and learning what I learned from her and through her in my 20s, I learned it when I was 15. Wow. 
And nine it's, months later, I had a dick in my mouth. Yes. <laughs> Wait, I kind of, I kind of want to talk about Ball Cupper guy. What do you think his like? Okay, you were obviously way in your head about the whole experience, but like from his perspective, was he kind of like cool with doing some gay stuff, or like? I guess I'm trying I to think, put myself in his shoes. I think he would have been. It was very Rocky Horror then. Everybody who was like, I mean, all the straight kids now who are queer identified and non-binary, you know, I'm a assigned female at birth, femme presenting, non-binary phallophile. Like, wait, wait, that's a straight girl, right? <laughs> like there was a lot of that then. A lot of like people think this kind of sexual fluidity or exploration is some new invention and it's kind of not. And it was really driven in, you know, urban subcultures then by the Rocky horror picture show, everybody went and he was kind of a Rocky horror picture show dude who wanted totally. I think, to think of himself as, you know, heteroflexible before that was like, a word. Eh, I touch balls sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it was easier for him to touch balls because he didn't want to as badly as I did. Right. It yes. it meant something for me the first yes. time I was with a guy. It had stakes and it was terrifying. And I think there, it was low stakes for him. It was no stakes for him. It didn't mean anything about who he was. And it sure. meant something about who I was. If anything, it was like a challenge to him in like a, oh, like I'm going to, eh, I'm going to do what all the kids are talking yeah, about. Look how, look how comfortable I am with my sexuality. Um, okay, so you said nine months later you had a dick in your mouth. Yeah, talk to me about that. What was like the what was what, how who's dick? The boyfriend of a f girlfriend of mine from <gasps> high school. It was wrong. You know, we'd spent a couple of days hanging out. He was straight. He was also in his twenties. I was sixteen by now, wow. and we were hanging out. And she had to go home, and so it was just the two of us left and we were hanging out and it was that kind of like performative. Hey, we're so comfortable with our masculinity that we can like, I can lay here with my head on your lap, even though it doesn't mean anything. Right. But the, there was so much sexual tension there. I wasn't out yet as bi even. Yeah. And there was so much sexual tension. And <laughs> he said to me, and I always cite this to people who are like, well, you can't ask you, you know, that's going to ruin it. If you ask for someone's consent, it's not sexy. You just have to lunge at people, right? That's sexy. Yeah. Asking is, I always cite what he did as an example of how sexy it can be to ask. Cause he was like looking at me and I was looking at him and it got kind of quiet. And he said, what would you do if I kissed you? <sighs> and I was like, I think I'd shatter into a hundred thousand million billion pieces and die. And what I said was uh, I would probably kiss you back. And then we ended up making out and. Wow. I, discover I discovered I don't have a gag reflex, <laughs> which is a great thing to discover. The first time you have a dick in your mouth, you're like, I've heard all about this retching and gagging. Uh, and no. Am I doing it wrong? Cause I'm not retching and gagging. <gasps> With this giant dick all the way down my throat. It was a giant dick. It was a pretty big dick, yeah. Um, I will say that really is a sexy scenario, like what you it, just said. Yeah, I was really lucky. And I was unlucky in that he confessed all to his girlfriend. <gasps> and she was pissed at me for seducing her 22-year-old boyfriend when I was 16. 
which is not how it went down. But no, it, it was an early lesson in that dynamic. I frequently see play out on the Savage Lovecast when people call in where they're mad at the person their partner cheated on them with and not mad at their partner. They offload the anger onto the person they can spare or they're they're not invested in. Yeah. So she was really mad at me and not mad at him. Uh, Even though I I was the 16 year old when he was in his twenties. I've been the 16 year old, let's say I've been the other, the single slut. And I say that with love who I'm like, I mean, your person is the one cheating. I'm not cheating on anybody. I don't, I don't deal with that. I don't mess with that anymore. But like, I, yeah, I don't but like I that. knew she would, I knew she was going to be mad. Like the, yeah, when but, you said, what would you do when I kiss you? I should have said, we shouldn't do this because we would both, I will be betraying my friend and you'll be betraying your girlfriend. But of course my dick was hard at that point. I, and the system override I, yeah. switch had been flipped. Yes, I I hear what you're saying, but the the dick was probably such a rare import. It was such like a rare thing that like um you had to take it. Like you, there was yeah. no way you can't say no. Like he, no one. I don't think anyone would fault you for a 16 year old giving into his like homosexual fantasy. I spent the night. <gasps> wait, we attempt, say, we wait, attempted anal, but it didn't work. Was he? Was neither he, of us knew what we were doing. Oh my god! Really? It was both of our first sexual experiences with a man, and neither of okay. us really knew what we were doing. Um, but in some ways, it was amazing, and in other ways, it was like lousy, furtive, fumbling, amateur hour. But it happened for people, if you have listeners in Chicago, uh, a few blocks away from the Argyle L stop. And I walked to the Argyle L stop the next morning. And I remember sitting on the, standing on the platform waiting for the train to take me back to my mom's house, my house, where I grew up. And uh, looking at the sky and thinking, yeah, everything I've been told about what just happened is a lie. That there was nothing that the, the skies didn't open. My grandmother wasn't watching me. Right. God wasn't going to hurl a lightning bolt at me. Right. That. Yeah. <laughs> that it was, I was it fine. Was and it was fine. To, yeah, it was supposed to be. Have um, was he weird towards you after it? Yeah, and he kind he of was. broke my heart. Like I, you know, I did that. Um, I was instantly like madly in love yeah. with him and fantasized about running away with him and him being my mm-hmm. boyfriend and mm-hmm. and it was a walk on the wild side for him. I. It wasn't who he was. Maybe he was bi, or maybe he just was like another one of those Rocky Horror straight boys who wanted to like have the cred of having had sex with a man uh, or boy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. We we didn't stay in touch, and I never got on Facebook. So people like that haven't come out of the woodwork to say, "Hey, remember when you, you sucked, sucked my, my dick, dick when you were 16? Um, do you think that like that is a rite of passage most straight identifying men do go through, like? Dabbling with I, a man? I, I think in, in in certain circles. Like the, all the straight guys who went to Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think kind of like felt, you know, every Friday night for years, felt like a, a little like they weren't really fully Rocky committed Rocky Horror fans if they weren't down with some Frankenfurter, right? <laughs> and I think you see that a little bit now. Like some straight guys, and I think there's more comfort with incidental homosexuality. I've argued for this forever in my column and on my podcast. A girl can eat pussy once or twice. A girl can interact with another girl or woman, another woman during a 
male, female, female three-way and still identify as straight. And yes. no one goes to her and says, you can't be straight. You, yeah. you kissed a girl. You touched a yeah. pussy. You can't be straight. Everybody goes to the straight guy who like sucked the dick once and says, you can't be straight. You're gay. Gay guys say it to him. Straight guys say it to him. Straight women say it to him. He says it to himself. Ugh. That I think is less common these days. Yeah. And I think there's a little more acceptance of some incidental homosocial, homoerotic, or homosexual contact between men uh, who are straight identified and and not just straight identified, but straight. Yeah. And I think that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it can be confusing for guys who are gay because they're, yeah. you know, you see these like teenage boys in high school on TikTok, like making out with another boy. And it's like crazy because we're both straight. You know that like often one of those guys is gay, right? For sure. And he's like, dying inside as he pretends High to be stakes. straight. So, yeah. Yeah, he's pretending to be straight so he can kiss a boy. Right? Uh, when I pretended to be straight, I was fucking a girl. <laughs> like the TikTok boys now pretend to be straight so they can like fuck a guy. <laughs> I love it. I wish I hope we can drop that stigma so we can like experience more like fluid, you know, hetero flexible men. Do you know what I mean? But I don't want to be homoflexible. Like, oh yeah, I love yeah. it when straight guys are a little more chill. I'm not going to eat pussy. Uh, no. I'm homosexual. It, 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 what is interesting, and I don't think this is new, like 25 years ago when Craigslist came along, the institution of trade came roaring back. A hundred years ago, if you sucked dick or got fucked, you were a faggot. But if you got your dick sucked, you could still be a straight guy. And then like yeah. the gay liberation movement, like turned that on its head. You could be a gay top, right? Like, sure. Sure. Gay sure, guys sure. suck dick and got their dick sucked. What Craigslist brought back was just like, there were so many straight guys looking for free oral on yeah. Craigslist. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I'd get letters from those guys, girlfriends when they would catch them worried that they were secretly gay. And it's like, right. you know, there are some straight guys who can close their eyes and think about Angelina Jolie or whoever else mm -hmm. Uh, and a mouth is a mouth. And like a lot of gay guys love those straight guys. Yeah. And like, you're for that kind of heteroflexibility. I'm for that kind of heteroflexibility, but do you want to be homoflexible? Not today. Do you want, like, would you let a woman suck your dick and so close your eyes I, and think well, of dudes? No. So I will say, I love the idea that I'd be down with that. Like, I love the concept of going to Burning Man and like making out with a girl and like maybe giving her pleasure, but no part of my lizard brain tells me to do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I love in theory, so many things are great in theory. You <laughs> yeah, know? great in theory. And, and I always, whenever I have these, when I say these things, uh, I'm not one of those gay guys who fetishizes straightness in men. Like, no. That a guy I used is straight to probably, but make, not anymore. Makes him less attractive to me. Yes. I like gayness. Gay men. men. Yeah. Gay men. You know, if the International Space Station goes over and they can look down and see you and tell you're gay, that I like you. You're the guy I want to date. You're the guy I'm going to pick out. The well, Russian is up there going, look at that fag. Yeah, that's my boyfriend. <laughs> that's my boyfriend. I like, I will say it's, it bums me out that like, there, I'm, I'm in West Hollywood, California, such a gay place. And there's still so many like performatively masculine men who I'm just, what? I'm calling bullshit on you. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you mean? There is this trend 
this attitude now that all masculine self-presentation is performative and all feminine self-presentation by men is authentic. Hmm. I don't think that's true. Now, I think when it comes to masculine self-presentation, there's a lot of incentives to present as masculine. Yes. Cultural pressure. Yes. Uh, sometimes can make you sexually more marketable. In some yes. places, it makes you sexually less marketable. You can see people what? on Grindr saying no mask. You know. Well, more you more often see mask only, mask yes. for mask. Right. I think you see that less now than you used to. There's a lot of guys on Instagram who put up pictures of themselves in what are panties mm-hmm. uh, to like attract, to signal that they're not like mask for mask types, even if they have like gym bodies and they're pretty worked out, right? Yeah. If somebody has a masculine self-presentation, the odds that that's an act are a little higher than a guy who's got a feminine sort of flair because a feminine flair is stigmatized because it could attract violence. Like you're, there's, you're being a little courageous if you have a feminine self presentation, but the assumption that all guys with masculine self presentations are faking it. That's not true. Right. Sure. More of them could be faking it than the guys with feminine self presentations. Yes. But like our, our position in queer land and like radical progressive land can't be, that the only authentic gender presentation for a biological male is feminine. And the only authentic gender totally. presentation for biological female is masculine. Totally. We're erasing people who, whose presentation aligns with their, their, their sex. And I feel like that's obnoxious. I agree with you 100%. So I must have misspoke really hard in the beginning of this because like, I of course believe there are masculine gay men or like, and there are guys who feel comfortable in the masculine role and more comfortable in the feminine role. Um, Or they're not playing a role at all. Sure. They're just being themselves. But I guess like when I see a profile that feels the need to hammer a point down, I'm like, why are you, why? Like why? Yes, I completely agree with you there. The person who's like mask for mask only, yeah. and like you know, he opened his mouth I and like, the purse fell I like out. Guy I hate stuff. those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's somebody who's insecure about it. That's somebody yes. who's very likely from a place of anxiety and insecurity, sure. dialing it up or faking it. Yeah, and that they're judging and shaming other guys for falling short of that same dialed up mask performance. I fucking hate that shit. I did drag for a decade. I like effeminate guys. I did a piece on This American Life on NPR 25 years ago where I talked about how attracted to sissies I am. I love sissies, right? So I am not like a mask for mask type. I am totally a, like – I. that's one of the things I like about guys you can tell they're gay because yeah. I think there's courage in that and I find courage appealing Sexy. and attractive and – in its own way, kind of a masculine trait, even if it's coming in a very feminine presentation. And I find it alluring. Like the ferocity. There was this guy in my high school, St. Jerome's High School, where I went for one year. I was a troubled kid. I went to three high schools in four years. Fun. Who came, like, there was a lot of gay bashing at St. Jerome's in the 70s, 80s. It was not a good place to be gay. This guy came to school in satin, shorts and on roller skates with like long feathered Farrah Fawcett hair. Nobody fucked with him. Nobody bashed him. They bashed me because I was hiding something, right? Because I was a coward, right? Because I had a secret and kids are like miserable monsters. Mm. And they were all the same guys who had beat up a guy they thought might be gay. Steered clear of him. 
And I remembered staring at him and thinking, I I couldn't even bring myself to talk to him. And it was like longing and admiration and desire and respect. And like, yeah, I, so so give me a guy with long feathered hair and satin short shorts and roller skates. Like that's my jam. You're not mask for mask. You're Dan for sissy. (laughs) Um, I well, And the thing with that guy is like, once you lay that out on the table, you're like, yeah. And what, like, what do you have to say to me? Yeah. Faggot. Okay. What? Yes. Like he takes away the power of the bully because they're not, they're not not, airing anything. Not everybody is in a position where they're ready to do that all at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. Whoever Um, he is now, I still love him. (laughs) You've asked me no questions about my sex life. I've totally, uh, what's that word? I've filibustered this entire show. I've asked you some, some, but have you, you've given out all the information that's already out kind there, of. I'm assuming. And yeah, yeah. I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm not fishing for okay, you to fish. Dan, you want to play, you want to play dirty? Let's play dirty. Okay. What was your sex life like in your twenties? I was pretty great. I learned some important lessons in my twenties. I was in a long-term relationship. I've always been a kind of long-term relationship person, I had a boyfriend for five years. Mm-hmm. We're still friends, uh, collaborators on a, a film mm-hmm. project recently. Um, but I was learning an important lesson, which uh, was not that um, I was failing at monogamy, even though I was cheating on him a lot. Monogamy was failing me, and I needed to stop <laughs> making monogamous commitments because sure. I was incapable of keeping them. Um so that was a lot of my twenties, <laughs> and that's when monogamish. That's where monogamish came in. Came in and Wait, okay, so but tell me about in. sex. What? Um, okay, open relationships. You're in a long term relationship Tw- now with Terry. Years. How long have you been years. together? Wow! And you said it's a hookup that just never ended, or a one night stand yeah, that I never met him ended. In a bar, uh, and honest to God, he walked up. I was like nudging a drag queen, Ginger Vitus was her name who was working coat check and I kept pointing Love. out Terry and we go, Oh my God, that guy is so pretty. That guy is so pretty. And he walked up to get, I think E out of his coat. And, uh, Ginger said, tell him he's pretty. Stop telling me. And I looked at Terry and said, you have a pretty mouth again, the mouth thing, like the crossing guard when I was a kid. And he looked yeah. at me and said, the better to eat you with and walked away. And I was, smitten. <gasps> that was 28 years ago. And then wait, but, so that was the first interaction. Then, like, was it like cat and mouse the rest uh, of the night? We kind of circled around each other and hung out and talked. He had friends at the bar who were a little freaked out uh, that we that I, you know, one of his friends came up to me and Why? said, "If you hurt him, I love him. If you hurt him," and I was like, well, "I'm not going to hurt him." And we hooked up in the bathroom, um, like made out and groped each other. <gasps> Just made do? out and groped each other. Okay. Then he went home with okay. me. Um, and the hilarious part of the story is the next morning. Uh, while he was in the shower, I got his driver's license out of his wallet, out of his pants, because I couldn't remember his name. Looked at his driver's license. You, Do you know how many times I've looked at men's <laughs> mail to get their name? I'm like, I I frantically saw uh, search their desk for a piece of mail. Um, okay, so the first night, did you have, like, can you talk about your sexual relationship uh, with Terry? A little more these days. When I first met Terry, like a lot of sex columnists in the 90s, I was writing a lot about my own sex life. And Terry then, not so much now, but then was a very private person and told me 
I could write sure. about my sex life or have sex with him, but not both. Uh, and I instantly stopped writing about my sex life uh, so I could be with him. And I think he saved my column because then my column became not about me. It became about my readers. And I think that's why it's had the longevity yeah. it's had. Uh, unlike, you know, other columns that came and went or people were just done writing them. It's rare for someone to write a column for 30 fucking years. Uh, but I credit Terry with the longevity of Savage Love because it was not about me. It's about the readers. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say, I listened to an earlier episode where you said the key to the longevity is not talking about your life, but talking about yeah. other people's lives. But that's I'm willing to talk about mine on your show. And so, like, we've been Yay! together 28 years. We were monogamous for four. Then we opened the relationship at Terry's initiative, uh, you know, I agreed to be monogamous, mm -hmm. even though I thought monogamy is not for me, for him. Uh, cause I was, I thought I could do it for him and I did. And then we opened the relationship at his instigation. Um, and for like a decade after that, we were monogamish, like the planets had to align. It happened rarely every once in a while, we'd have a three way. Uh, and then we kind of moved into what we called a very special guest star that, we're both the relation, yes. like our friends who are lesbians who tell us that Terry and I added together as one lesbian because we would always have like basically <laughs> a boyfriend. And then at a certain point we had to admit to ourselves, we were just poly that we had, you know, yeah. we were in a poly triad and that's what that was. And now I've, Terry's been with, he's got a boyfriend, uh, he's been with for five years Yes, and I have a boyfriend that I don't wow. talk about publicly ever, um, that <gasps> I've been with for nine years. So obviously Stop. relationship types. I, okay. Is there any, are there any like uh summits where both couples get naked <laughs> and roll around? No, unfortunately. Um, my boyfriend was uh, part of a poly triad with me and Terry for four years. And then he and Terry broke up and okay. I didn't want to break up with him. That was a very difficult, you know, anyone who's poly can tell you that like the end of a relationship, the end of a triad is very difficult, especially if one person wants it to end and the other doesn't. I bet. Uh, but we managed to um, pivot. What percentage of your relationships with these men, I guess, Terry and your nine-year boyfriend, what percentage of them is like sexual? Does that make sense? Like, do you have like active sex lives with both of them? They're long-term relationships right like we had a lot more sex i don't know nine what years is. ago than we do now but sex is very important yeah you know terry and i are still have sex um i have sex with my boyfriend uh, when we're together terry has sex with his boyfriend i don't have sex with terry's boyfriend um it is now we're you like some sort of box-shaped poly quad <laughs> so it works I, I mean, I, I love that. It, it, that's what I was going to say. I love that it works. I guess it just keeps like, and is your, it, it what's jealous? Is there jealousy oh, at this point yeah, or no? Of course. And okay. there's, jealousy isn't a disqualifying thing. doesn't mean you can't be in an open relationship. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean you can't be in a closed relationship. People in monogamous relationships are always like, don't you get jealous? And I would look at them and say, yeah, don't you? Nothing about monogamy protects you from jealousy. You're still going to have to see how your totally. partner reacts when you're feeling jealous. And that usually means you need some attention and maybe an adjustment mm -hmm. of like how you're being treated or prioritized. That definitely goes sure. on in our relationship. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to oh, lie. <laughs> it's a lot more complicated. But as Terry and I often say to each other, when we are in conflict about how to run all this stuff, 
we're not bored. At least we're not bored. You know, we've almost been together 30 years. Most couples like us are kind of looking at each other across the deck in Palm Springs waiting to die. I mean, no, that's not fair. I think most gay couples are like, most gay couples are open and and killing it in my experience in middle age. Yeah. Uh, Like straight couples, similarly situated straight couples are usually just kind of like, looking at the clock, waiting for somebody Ugh. to die. And Terry and I always have something to you. talk about. I love yeah. that. I, um, how, how, how high is your sex drive these days? Very high. It's crazy. You, you'd think like, is it God and your dick would give you a break at some point and it wouldn't occupy so much of your thoughts. I'm here from the future to tell your 20 something, Listeners who are hoping like age, you know, thinking one of the benefits of age that'll take the edge off. It doesn't. I'm also here from the future to to say that, uh, you know, from, you know, I'm 57 years old. I have a kind of an amazing sex life. That's possible. Every time I see somebody go, oh, like gay, when you're 30 and gay, you're dead. Like all the best sex of my life has been after 30. You know, there are bars that if I walked into, I'd be invisible at my age, I don't go to those bars. Why would I go to those bars? Right. You know, sometimes one of the things that drives right. me crazy about gay land sometimes and gay people is like gay men will complain, gay men my age, that it's ageist and discriminatory that they can go to a bar full of 20-somethings and nobody wants to go home with them, right? No one wants to fuck them. A straight guy who makes that argument, a straight they? guy in their 70s, 50s oh. who makes that argument about going to a college town bar full of 20-year-old women, and nobody nobody looks at that straight guy and thinks, oh, poor you. That's so discriminatory. What a terrible community straight people are if you as a 57-year-old can't walk into a bar full of 22-year-old women and leave can't with get, four of them. 22, yeah. Like gay men my age need to, like, there are definitely. Entitlement. Yeah. It's there are younger guys who are into guys my age. There are guys my age into guys my age. There's like no shortage right. of dick. There's never a dick shortage. You, you have to have realistic expectations and you have to know your audience and know what stage you're on. You know, there's a yeah. bar full of like 18 to 22 year olds here in Seattle back when we had bars that were open before COVID. Like I used to go to that bar when I was mm-hmm. in my 20s. I wouldn't go to that bar now. Yeah. Right. You don't want to go I to that bar now. I want to go to that bar. If I was 22, I'd want to go to that bar now, but I'm not 22. And like some places aren't for all of us and that's okay. I also, I just maintain like, I want the receipts that this 58 year old man who's complaining sucked 10 grandpa dicks when he was 22. Oh you my know, like, God. Where's Those the trade off? They write me letters. They complain. I write them back sometimes personally and say, like, what about guys your own age? And this they say, not I'm not attracted to guys my age. The argument. It's like, okay. Well, well sucks okay. to be you. There, that, there are definitely guys in their 20s who are attracted to guys my age, guys your age. Yes. They're yes. a smaller yes. percentage of guys in their 20s. You, when you were in your 20s, yeah. probably weren't attracted to guys in their, in their 50s. I'll say to the person I'm, like, trying to reason with. Yeah. And that has to be okay. And I think all of us should scrutinize – who we're attracted to and make sure that we're sleeping with the people that we are attracted to ourselves authentically, genuinely. Sometimes we, you know, our sex partners become status objects and we're chasing after people that we don't really want, but because other people want them. Right. We're such status obsessed monkeys like human beings are. 
I'm attracted to many more types Oof, of men than I thought hit. I was at 17 or 18. And sure. I had sure. to unlearn some of what I was told that I should find attractive or should could only find attractive. And I have benefited from that unlearning. And so I think all of us should like make sure our desires are ours. And if you do that, you mm-hmm. may find just as you have, you know, have a broad definition of sex, you'll have a broader definition or broader like range of potential sex partners, which means you'll have more sex and it'll be great. But yeah, not everybody's so, attracted. So to then if someone were to approach, if someone were to approach Dan Savage and like, if you could give them like a cheat, code or a cheat book to get into your pants what are the steps what are the things going from physicalities to like communication to proclivities in bed like how would i seduce dan savage i I, not that i want to know but i my listeners do good emotional iq and good judgment like you want to come on but you don't want to come on too strong you want to strike that balance right Read, read the, the room. room. Mm-hmm. And I also, and I think this is why I managed to survive the AIDS epidemic, which we haven't talked about at all. I kind of have to like somebody and get to know them before I can be sexual with them. Maybe it's like the Catholic shit that I never mm-hmm. fully expunged. Uh, mad props to the guys who can, you know, climb in a sling and let 20 strangers fuck them. Um, I can't, do that. I have to like, like the thing, my hang up, even when I was young, even like young and out right before AIDS happened was I kind of had to picture this person as a potential boyfriend to be with them. Yeah. And if I could see that yeah. to get into possibility, it, yeah. then like, I could okay. get into it. Everybody has come. to be boyfriend. You no, know, everyone has to be boy, potential boyfriend material. Even if I know it's like only going to be a one night stand. I had this crazy weekend in Amsterdam in my twenties early twenties where I met this guy and we totally hit it off and I was going back to America and he was a med student and was going to stay in Amsterdam and it was before social media. So we weren't going to like send each other airmail or see each other again, but we could both see that if circumstances were different, that we would be boyfriends and that made it possible for me to like spend a weekend with his dick in my ass. Hell yeah. And um, well, now I felt I feel really um, ashamed that we didn't talk about the AIDS oh, epidemic no, 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 no. as much as I love to talk about <laughs> it. I was gonna say you're you and Terry are um, are like a post AIDS epidemic relationship. So was monogamy part of like was that was did that fuel monogamy in well, any way? We got together in 95. The new drugs, the cocktail, Lazarus syndrome, they didn't come along till 96. So our relationship began in the context oh. of and, and a lot of people think like the death rate was highest in the late eighties and then it began to like fall the death rate HIV AIDS among gay men and other affected populations was rising 91, 92, 93, 94, 95 is highest ever in 95. Mm-hmm. That was the context where our relationship began. Wow. And you really had to trust somebody and Terry and I for the first year or two yeah. used condoms with each other. It was crazy for me to watch how quickly everyone disposed of condoms after not just not just prep came along when the cocktail came along and turned being HIV positive from a death sentence into a chronic manageable health condition, right? And a lot of people immediately sure. stopped using condoms or more people stopped using condoms and already weren't using condoms because everyone wasn't, as they said at the time, condom compliant all the time. Um, <laughs> and so our relationship began at the what a lot of people now think 
wasn't the height of the AIDS epidemic or AIDS crisis. But if you were alive at the time, it was like my friends were dying all around me in the nineties. And there had to be like a fear that you could lose your partner at any time. Yeah. Yeah. You could lose your partner or this person that you trusted could infect you. Um, And Terry and I went through what was then described as negotiated safety, uh, where we stopped using condoms with each other and we were only having sex with each other, but you know, people cheat. And the hard part of negotiated safety Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was you had to promise your partner that if they did cheat on you and did something risky, that they, they would tell you and you would not break up with them if they told you. Because you didn't want them oh. to not tell you for fear of being broken up with and then just kind of hope they didn't infect you. If he cheated on you, yeah. he had to tell you. And the like, the blood oath you swore was, I swear to God, you know, if you cheat on me and you do something unsafe and you. you tell me and we go back to using condoms and we test, I will not break up with you for that reason. And that was a hard promise to make, right? Especially, yeah. you know, for people who yeah. define cheating as the worst thing a person could possibly do. But that was the only way for negotiated safety to truly be safe. But you are a cheater, <laughs> self-defined. <laughs> but I never cheated on Terry. Um, oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, okay, that uh, uh, the last thing is, is there any advice you would give to young Dan before he began his sexual journey? Not not thing you'd change, but if you could encounter young Dan as an adult and give him a piece of advice to help him on his way. Uh, Get more comfortable with your kinks earlier. Don't be so worried about what other gay men might think. Um, uh, God, I wish I had it with me. There's this book of gay quotations that I found when I was in my 20s that this writer named Leif Rutledge put together. And one of them was a a quote from... uh, you know, it's just these adages, you know, from Oscar Wilde and other people and Dolly Parton, Cher, um, Baldwin, like just these great like thoughts. And one of them was some guy who was like mm-hmm. into leather or whatever saying it's a real mind fuck to be considered a pervert by the people everyone else on the planet considers the perverts. Right. There was a lot of kink shaming in gay male communities in the, you know, what I said earlier about like, I was going to be the kind of gay man who didn't have anal sex and straight people would like me. There was a lot of that kind of bargaining. Like there's, you know, there were good gays and bad gays and good gays were into just normal Mm -hmm. gay sex and being presentable and not too offensive. And bad gays, you know, were into leather kink or whatever else. And as if you couldn't be both, you know, as if that tension of being like presentable in some contexts uh, and a normie in some and like a sex maniac and others isn't like desirable and interesting. And I just, if I could tell myself anything at 15, it would be, be less anxious about the kinky shit that appeals to you because not only is it awesome and fun, but it's going to bring the most amazing people into your life, including my boyfriend of nine years who I wouldn't have met if our kinks didn't align. Wait, what kink is it? I- I'll say that we met in a dungeon in Berlin. Okay. And, okay. and we didn't stumble in there by accident. Um, and it was a date. We'd actually been talking online I'm, for years and thought we'd never meet. And it was just like chit-chatting online. And then we were in Berlin, Terry and I, and he was in Berlin. Or no, we were in Berlin and he he and got on an airplane and came to Berlin. And, and we met. And six months later, uh, he moved to Seattle to be with us. Oh, my God. Almost 10. It'll be 10 in July. 
Wait, do you all cohabitate? Oh, uh, yeah, we have. Terry's boyfriend lives with us. Wow. Lives with me and Terry. And my wow. boyfriend used to live with me and Terry. Well, make room for, make room for Zach Newby <laughs> Towers. Tell Terry to shove over. You got an old twink coming into the bedroom. A twink daddy. A, um, a thank you so much. What's that? A twink, a, a twatty. We're not, that's, we'll workshop that. Um, <laughs> can you, do you want to tell people where to find you? Not that they really need much direction. A dinky? But Would a twink daddy anything? be a dinky? That's not going to work either. A dinky? No. <laughs> um, I write Savage Love, uh, which appears in, I think, 50, 60, 70 papers still. Uh, you can find your way to it at wow. savage.love on the internet. Uh, also at savage.love, you'll find the Savage Love cast, uh, my books. Um, I'm on Twitter at fake Dan Savage and I'm on Instagram at Dan Savage with Instagram being the only platform I joined uh, quickly enough to get my own name at. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you and everything you've done for every gay oh, like me. Thank you. <laughs> and I really enjoy your show. Like, is that weird? Is that weird to say? Okay, no, like, okay. like I, I'm too Catholic for that. Like people sometimes will say that to me. Thank you for what you do. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, they pay me, so it's not altruism, but you're welcome. You should be getting paid. I hope you're getting paid millions of dollars per episode. Oh, no. I wish. You deserve it. <laughs> my mil- my million-dollar oh, baby. You. And, I've, and I really like um, mutual appreciation society. <laughs> I, invited, I invited you on my show because I so enjoy yours. Um and it was a, oh a thrill to be asked to come on yours myself. And I'll come on yours whenever you want me to I, come on oh, yours. Oh, yeah. You came all over it, baby. Thank you so much Thank for you. doing this.